says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. And Father, we humbly ask as we open the word of God as always that we could continue now in our worship towards you as we've prayed and sang and fellowshiped and given and done other things as acts of worship. Lord, as we open the word of God, we want this to be an act of worship towards you as well because we believe that your word is inspired that it's profitable for us, that we might be the men and women of God that you've called us to be, and that your truth is what sets us free, Lord. So we ask, speak to us this morning, certainly as we look at the subject of marriage, Lord, such an important, important thing in our culture and society. The world's lying to so many of us, Lord. And so we pray, speak to us, that we would each have an ear to hear this morning what your spirit would say to this part of your church. Teach us, equip us, and help us to hear your voice saying to us what we would need to hear. And we ask you to bless your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, if you were to title this morning's message, I think it would be a, a fair title to just simply give it the title, Doing Marriage Right. Doing marriage right. I firmly believe that having a healthy and a successful and a satisfying marriage from God's viewpoint is honestly not very complicated at all. When you look at the instruction God gives here, these two verses we're going to sort of meditate upon this morning, we see from God's standpoint, marriage really isn't tended to be a complicated thing. Yes, it can be challenging at times. Surely it requires dependence upon the Lord, but a good marriage is totally achievable. A good marriage is within reach of any married couple, despite the backgrounds, dynamics, personalities, situation. Colossians chapter 3 here gives to us one of the few New Testament passages that give to us God's instruction regarding the marriage institution and the roles for the marriage relationships between a husband and a wife. Other passages, if you want to further acquaint yourself that we find regarding marriage, Ephesians 5 gives us more instruction there. 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, all helpful. And to the married couples, listen, this morning, this is free marriage counseling. Free marriage counseling, which I assure you that if applied, works. And to those who are unmarried this morning, this is free education and training. That if you are willing to take to heart and prepare yourself, you can do marriage right from the start. And you can experience God's best with the spouse he may one day give to you. And as we consider God's word this morning and what it has to say about the marriage relationship, I think it's helpful to remember a couple things. First and foremost being this, that it's God who created both males and females. That was God's design. God created us male, some. God created others female with unique differences by design. Differences of what masculinity is going to bring to it and what femininity would bring to it. And God taking into full consideration the traits of masculinity and femininity is best aware of what our desires, therefore, foremost are and what our deepest needs are and a lot of times in the marriage role in a romantic relationship between a man and a woman that tends to become that a woman desires to be loved would you agree with that ladies 
Okay, that sounds very enthusiastic. We're doing well. Men strongly desire to be respected. Would you agree with that, men? Yes. Okay, they're confident about that. Women desire to be loved. They long to be loved. And men have a similar yearning, the way God's wired them as men, to desire and to want to be respected. And it's God as well, let us remember as well, not who just created male and female, but God also is the one who created the marriage institution. In fact, I would say this. It is the one institution we have in the word of God that came to us on the other side of the fall of sin. Every other institution, government, other institutions that we have that God ordained in the word of God have all come in after the fall. The one sacred, divine, holy institution that did come to us from the other side of the fall of sin, Genesis chapter 3, is the marriage relationship. No wonder the devil attacks that more than anything else. Because the fundamental basis of so many things of life and family and society and human existence and understanding how God does that we complete and complement one another as male and female, as a husband and a wife in the marriage relationship, knowing what will bring the healthiest and most satisfying structure for family life, we need to take into consideration God created this. So God therefore understands these things and is going to be the best suited person, obviously, to understand how we will best complement, complete one another, that we would be a strong unit to be able to function better as one than we would as two independent individuals. And so understanding what God says about marriage, realizing he created male and female, and he's the one that created the marriage relationship. You know, when a car doesn't work properly, you look to the owner's manual to get guidance. But it's amazing how people have all kinds of complicated issues and challenges in marriage and everybody turns everywhere else other than saying, how does God say we were supposed to do marriage? And it's amazing how his word is very clear. And listen, marriage is a major life change. No amen to that. It's a major life change. It is something that by all means has its natural challenges and it is a long-term commitment. I say to couples all the time, especially if I'm doing premarital counseling with them, I say, look, getting married is easy. In fact, if you don't want to submit to premarital counseling, I say, listen, you don't have to use me to get married. You don't need me. You can go to the judge and probably in a matter of a few days get a license if you're 18 and, and get yourself married. I assume if you want me to marry you, you're saying you want the involvement of God in your life and to talk about the things of God and see God's ways. So getting married is an easy thing. Getting married is easy. Being married is not so easy sometimes. Staying married is is even more challenging if we're going to live till death do us part together. So with that understanding, would you agree, you would think, I would anyway, that considering what marriage is, that God would give to us like multiple chapters in the Bible on the marriage relationship. Or that he would give us like a whole book on the Bible like first marriage or second marriage, like first Corinthians or second Corinthians. Like this is a, a, a huge thing. You would think that there would be, and if you just look at the world, you'd think that there would be volumes and chapters because look at the world and even, let me go so far to say, look even at the church today in Christianity, there are volumes of books on marriage. There are tons of seminars that you can attend 
to learn about marriage and yet please consider look at our text verse 18 and 19 when the Holy Spirit directs the Apostle Paul to address the roles and responsibilities of marriage take notice God by his spirit basically gives one simple command for a man and one simple command for the woman he gives one simple command for the wife one simple command for the husband because God is wise enough to know that if each spouse truly embraced unto the lordship of Jesus Christ their role and responsibility in the marriage, that the marriage would work the way God intended it, and it would lead to, indeed, an enjoying, fulfilling, harmonious marriage, and a marriage, instead of being a battlefield, could actually be one of the greatest, most blessed environments two people could experience if they would simply honor what God has asked. Now, God, being a perfect gentleman, acknowledges the ladies first. So let's jump in here. Verse 18, it says to the wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So notice the one main command that God gives the wife in order to honor Christ in her marriage relationship is to yield herself to the authority and the leadership of her husbands. He simply says in verse 18 there, submit to your own husbands. Now take note with me, first and foremost. Notice the sphere of a wife's submission. The sphere of a wife's submission, it says there, look at the text, your own husband. Your own husband. This is not an instruction for women to just submit to all men generally. Let me just say, first of all, that's both unnecessary and it's completely unhealthy because not all men have good intentions. So for all women to just submit to all men generally is not something the word of God teaches. And men are not called to have control over all women or to rule over women universally. The Bible doesn't tell a, a girl who's dating to submit to her boyfriend. It says that a wife is to submit to her own husband. That is, God is giving an instruction for how the wife is to relate to the one special man, listen, whom she has chosen to enter into a marriage with and live a shared life with. This is how a wife is to function within her marriage alone relating to her own husband as it pertains to that one man that she has carefully selected to be her lifelong partner, the one whom she feels confident and comfortable enough to trust following until death do her part with him. This is the instruction given here. Even as the head, if we could illustrate from a human body perspective, even as the head is connected to the rest of the body and the head is dependent even upon the rest of the body, but yet it is the function of the head to provide direction and to provide, in a sense, signals to help the rest of the body function orderly and in a healthy way, the Bible teaches in the same way that the husband in the marriage unit is supposed to have headship in the marriage relationship. And in order for that to work, God commands the wives to submit to or be subject to their own husbands so that that can function in an orderly way. Now, let me just clarify, when the Bible teaches that a wife is to submit to her own husband, let me be very clear, that has nothing to do with implying that a husband is to function like an arrogant dictator. That is shameful and that is wrong. 
It has nothing to do with implying that a husband is to use or abuse his wife as his personal slave or to be selfishly barking orders at her and and demanding unrealistic expectations. It has everything to do with honoring a divine order. God is a God of order. And God has created a divine order and the divine order in the marriage relationship is that the wife is to submit herself to the headship of her husband in the way that marriage by God's design is to function properly. It's a pattern to reflect the marriage relationship, Ephesians 5 tells us, is a pattern to reflect Christ and the church. A healthy marriage is one of the human illustrations God has put on this planet to reveal the loving, intimate relationship that he desires to have with you and I. That the husband represents Christ and and the wife represents the church in this loving interaction between them. So it's to reflect how Jesus lovingly, confidently leads us and how we, by the same token, follow him. Ephesians 2, 22 to 24, excuse me, Ephesians 5 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. So again, the picture, even as we respect and recognize the lordship, the, the leadership of Jesus and that we do best to yield to follow him that that's just proper function in the same manner as a husband seeks to function in his God-given role which is to operate in a way where he does assert leadership in the marriage leadership in the family where he exercises his authority in situations God instructs the wife that when the husband seeks to function in that way that she's to cooperatively yield to that to allow him to exercise that authority, to allow him to assert that leadership. The word submit that's used there in verse 18 is a compound word in the Greek language, hupotasso. The word hupo means to be under, and the word tasso means to arrange in an orderly way. So, in essence, what the word conveys there, hupotasso, submit, the, the language, means to arrange yourself to function under the authority of another for the sake of order. That's the idea there, hupotasso, that that you arrange yourself or position yourself to function under the authority of another for the sake of providing orderliness in the way that you function and operate. It was a term that was often used even in military protocol, and I think that would make sense in regards to kind of how that functions there. In, In a military setting... There's an understanding of recognizing the need of order and authority and and how rank has its place and its purpose. And if a unit is going to function in a safe and productive and an efficient way in a battlefield with challenges and so on and so forth, then honoring an established rank and order is very important among the unit. To not do that would be rather dangerous. So a wise soldier will voluntarily submit himself to his commanding officer and will respect the order that's been established of rank and authority rather than do what he prefers, the soldier will choose to yield to the authority and decisions of the commanding officer and will let them lead and will allow them to make the decision and provide the direction and situations. And again, that has nothing to do from a military standpoint. It has nothing to do with worth. It has nothing to do with value. 
has nothing to do with the private has less value than the general or the sergeant is not as worthy of the lieutenant. It's just an understanding of order. There's a need for order to function in a proper and an appropriate way and has nothing to do with one's ability or one's intelligence or being inferior or someone else being superior. I mean, quite frankly, someone who is a, an experienced uh, you know, uh, battle sergeant may have a better perspective on warfare than someone who's a general, quite frankly. But when it comes down to it, that sergeant, though he may even be more intelligent, better experienced and better equipped on the battlefield, is going to defer to the authority of the general because that's proper. It's function. And it's a way of recognizing, listen, it's important to have an order and a function to the way things operate. And in a non-military sense, that same word hupotasa was used in language to describe a voluntary attitude of giving in or just being cooperative. That was the idea. Just yielding yourself and being cooperative. Someone who can, the idea is, allow another person to be in charge. That you're okay with that. That you can let someone else be in charge you can let them decide or take the lead be willing to adapt to what another asks and cooperate and just support their choice and let them make the choice and be cooperative and supportive in so doing that's the picture here for the marriage of the wife's function again has nothing to do with the wife's value as a person and this you know i talked to my own daughters about this kind of thing and uh, you know helping them grow up and and learn and even yesterday we were just you know talking as they knew i was going to teach on this and and one of my own daughters said look it has nothing to do that that the girl's like not as important as the guy it has nothing to do that we're like inferior it's just the way god made it but sadly a lot of times this is the problem there's this instant kind of adverse reaction to oh uh, what are you trying to say women are inferior and men well, it has nothing to do with that it's just an issue of function it has nothing to do with value or worth or that my wife or any wife is is somehow less smart or less wise or they're not as spiritual or they're not as capable the, the bible knows nothing of that the bible teaches equality between men and women it has to do with function and i'll tell you the best way to illustrate that Consider the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is equality between the Father and the Son. They are equally divine. There's complete equality between them, but yet Jesus the Son, by function, chooses to submit to the Father. Equality, but yet submission in the way that they function. And again, this is the same pattern and the same idea. There's equality in marriage, but God's established an order. So yes, should we discuss and pray through things together? Should we talk and listen to each other's input as husbands and wives? Yes, but ultimately the Bible teaches that the wife is to yield then to the husband's authority. That she is ultimately to allow, if he has made a decision or a request, to that be something that she would observe and that she would yield to. That if that's what you're asking, I'll do that. If that's what you've decided, I'll follow that. And following his guidance, and sometimes, listen, ladies, that even takes a, a measure at times of self-control and even self-restraint where you let your husband lead, especially if you by nature have a strong personality, that you actually allow him to lead, that you give him a chance to take control and to lead and to make decisions. And when he does such or attempts to do such, that you voluntarily seek to cooperate with that 
as a way to honor the Lord. Ephesians 5, again, says the marriage relationship is supposed to be an illustration of how Jesus and the church functions. And notice in our verse as well, verse 18, the second half of it, God supplies the reason wives are to do this. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. And then he adds, as is fitting in the Lord. The idea is as is appropriate in the Lord, as is proper for someone who's following the Lord. You're to obey the marital command and function as a wife, listen, unto Jesus foremost. It's not first and foremost for your husband. And let me please help you and liberate you. If you're looking for your husband's performance to be your motivation to have this longing desire to want to submit yourself to him, you're really probably going to struggle more than you need to. But if you look at it as no, listen, as a Christian, as a Christ follower unto my Lord, this is my role and responsibility, the command God has given to me, how I'm to function as a wife to please Jesus. As is fitting in the Lord, as is proper and appropriate in the Lord, the primary motive and reason that the wife obeys the command, the husband obeys his command, is to please the Lord in your role. So you're not motivated by his condition or how he's doing. So even if the conditions aren't great in your marriage, you should still obey this command because it's a command from the Lord. It's something God's given for the function of marriage. How you relate to your husband is a part of your Christian conduct. So despite the husband you have, it's always fitting, appropriate to be the wife that God wants you to be despite the man that you may be married to. For Jesus' sake and by his spirit's empowerment, by the grace of God, honor your husband's role in the marriage as a male the way God intended you to. And seek to, by the grace of God, respect your husband and how you relate to him and speak to him. God, knowing how men are wired, knows that if you do that, that will have powerful influence in your marriage relationship. Listen to how 1 Peter says it. It tells us this in 1 Peter 3. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, listen, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Again, take notice. Even if your husband's not obeying the word of God, whether he's a non-believer or maybe he's just living disobedient to the word of God, the Bible says that as you live out the way you're supposed to live as a wife, relating to him in his masculinity, in his malehood, and who God's made him to be, honoring his person and who he is in his function and his role, that without a word, your conduct can have a powerful influence on him. It can have an incredible effect where it can cause his heart to soften and to begin to almost sense a conviction and God to begin to work in his life by you honoring him by living the way as a wife God asks you to do. He says, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham. And let me say this to those of you who are single this morning, to single ladies, all the single ladies, right? I'm not going to sing the song. Okay? I got to weave a joke in here, here or there. I just keep it light. Listen, if you are a single girl this morning, you see what the word of God says. Let me, in light of what the word of God says to you as a potential future wife, understanding the command of God, encourage you to patiently 
and very wisely evaluate a man's character and his potential before you choose to select that guy to be your husband. Because do you see what God is calling you to live in such a way as, as a wife? So I would say if you are still single this morning, let me exhort you to patiently and wisely examine, take time to know a man's character, to know his potential in regards to certain things before you select him as your husband. Do you respect this man? Could you genuinely see yourself being comfortable following this man and letting this man provide guidance and, and oversight to your life and to your family? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a major thing. Be wise in that selection. You know, Titus 2 tells us as well, older women are to be teaching and training younger women what is good. Particularly, it tells us in Titus 2, older women helping younger women to understand God's ideal and design for the wife and the mother. Listen to what it says in Titus 2. Older women are to be teachers of good things. They should admonish, listen, the young women, here's what older women are to teach younger women, to admonish young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet and chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. When we look at what the biblical model is, despite the patterns of our modern world, okay, and what the culture's doing, and what the culture's trying to ram down our throats, which is trying in many ways to blur and confuse, I believe, gender roles, and to erase distinctions altogether between male and female, which does not, in my opinion, seem to be improving society, but deteriorating families. As people of the Word of God, let us seek to be intentional as parents raising daughters, as those investing in younger women, that we would prepare them understanding God's design for their function and where they blossom and flourish in their role to learn how to be like cooperative in their spirit rather than feeling they need to go out and be assertive and pushy and make their mark that instead they would actually recognize there's something very wonderful about being able to find enjoyment being a good supporter and to be a helper to someone and someone who can come alongside and encourage someone else and to be able to find fulfillment in partnering and assisting another person rather than feeling like you have to go out and independently assert your life in the world, that there's nothing inferior at all about saying, I actually find enjoyment coming alongside and helping someone else out and being a supportive person, a cooperative person, a submissive person, and that we would not raise young women thinking that it is weak to allow a good man to take care of them. And to provide guidance to them in their lives at times. That in the right situations, in a healthy, proper setting, that there's nothing inferior and weak and, and that it's okay to actually depend upon a man. And that there's nothing wrong with that. That that's a healthy, beautiful thing that can be very wonderful. Look, when a woman enters a marriage with a heart to want to compliment her husband, something very powerful and beautiful happens in that relationship, I'm telling you. Something very powerful because husbands may be called to lead. Listen, ladies, but women have this powerful thing called influence. And the influence of a woman 
is incredible. It's incredible. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 12, 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. The idea is she empowers a man to excel. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. That is, his wife becomes his greatest asset and what causes his life to be blessed. Proverbs 19.14 says, Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. The idea is she enriches his life as a man. His life becomes way more wealthy as the result of her connection to him and of course Proverbs 31 that great passage about a virtuous and excellent wife whose worth is far above rubies well Paul then turns here to the husbands and he says verse 19 husbands love your wives and do not be bitter towards them so the one main command God gives to the husband to honor Christ in the marriage is to sacrificially love his wife and to do that in a way where he treats her with loving tenderness he says husbands love your wives that shows us right away that husbands are to not just be leaders but loving leaders sacrificial leaders servant-hearted leaders those who want to lead well because they love the woman that they are entrusted to care for and so they want to do an excellent job because they see her as god's daughter and they have a sense of respecting the, the importance of that and treating her accordingly. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, to think about that God doesn't have to command wives to love their husbands. I think part of the reason for that is because women by nature, by default, are way more loving and caring and sensitive and, and nurturing and they do very well in the department of love. I, I firmly believe, you can be free to disagree, I think women are just better at relationships than men are. They're, they're just... Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I, have, I live with four women. That's why the chuckle comes from that side of the room there. You notice that. But see, God knew how dysfunctional I was, so he gave me four women to help me work on relationship. I'm only married to one for sake of the recording. I'm only married to one of those four. The other three I helped create. But it's interesting that you know men tend to honestly because of our makeup we tend to struggle with being more loving and being more caring it tends to just be a weak spot for for men and we can often be guilty men of a lot of times loving pursuits and loving other things more than we properly love our wives and so god has to tell men god commands the men love your wives Love your wives more than anything else. Give proper love to them. That word love is the word agapeo in the Greek and it speaks of that love coming from the will. It's not about sentiment. It's not about feeling. It's a term, that word love that's used is a choice regardless of an object's condition, of its performance, of the way it relates back and responds. It's the love that God has for us. It's a love that's based on a decision to seek the best interest of another despite the cost to yourself. It's the love God has for us. And it's that same love we're to exercise. So the agape love from a husband expressed toward a wife does not imply feelings of affection or even romantic and physical attraction foremost. It denotes a caring love. A, a love that's deliberate in its attitude of mind to concern itself with the well-being of the one being loved. So it's a love of self-devotion not a love of self-satisfaction. Luther said this, I thought it was a great quote. He said, the Christian 
is supposed to love his neighbor. And since his wife is his nearest neighbor, she should be his deepest love. I think there's great truth to that. Paul further defines this kind of love in Ephesians 5, what it really looks like, the reflection of it. He says it's supposed to just be a reflection of Jesus' love. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 5. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. So Ephesians 5 says, look, here's the model. The model is the love that Jesus has shown towards us. The love that Jesus has shown towards his church. That is the example of the kind of love we are to love our wives with, to love our wives with the same love that Christ showed towards the church. Now, I want you to just ponder that for a moment. And we could be here all day, but we won't. But just consider, consider Jesus's love. Jesus's love caused him to leave a place of comfort and he entered into our world and he died here. If you hear nothing else I say, guys, there's the picture of love. You enter into your wife's world which is different than your world. You enter into your wife's world and you die. You die there. Constantly. Continually. But the purpose of Christ's coming, he entered into our world and really, if you think about it, what? To do what? To make our life the best that it could be. To make our life better. He entered into our world. He met us where we were to serve us in humble and caring ways. Jesus denied himself. Jesus set aside his rights to do what was in the best interest of you and I. He made great sacrifices personally. He willingly suffered and endured things on our behalf so that we might have what was better and beneficial. Jesus never ceased to express love and commitment, though he wasn't loved in return. Jesus constantly provides guidance and leadership to help us flourish spiritually. Jesus provides for us all that we need, that we have what is necessary to be healthy and safe and, and, and well cared for. Jesus is our protector and he shields us from situations and people as needed. Jesus is gentle and caring and compassionate. And this is the model, gentlemen, that we are to seek to emulate and imitate in loving our wives. We are to the same degree to meet our wives where they're at. Not to expect them to come up to... We're to meet them where they're at. And we're to love them there and serve them. We're to do what we can to humbly care for them and serve them. We are to constantly be denying ourselves, To be doing what we can to make their lives better, to make their lives easier, to never cease to love them despite what kind of love may be reciprocated back to us. We're to remain devoted and committed. Uh, you know, we're to provide guidance and leadership to help them flourish spiritually, even as Jesus does for us. We're to seek to be providers and, and protectors and to shield them from things and, and to do what we can to love them in a way sacrificially and servant-hearted to make their lives better, the same way that Jesus showed love for us. 
We're to seek to model that in our lives. John 13, Jesus displayed his love most clearly. Remember when he washed the disciples' feet. And consider what Jesus was doing there. Here's Jesus. He's the leader. And what does Jesus do as the leader? Jesus took notice and he saw the needs in the disciples' lives. And what he basically did was he set aside his own interests. He put aside his own interests in order to care and to bless them. There's a model, husbands. This is our role. We are as husbands to give up and put aside our own interests and our many pursuits in order to take into consideration our wife's interests and what her needs are before our needs and even what her desires to a degree and her wants are before our own. That we're not so busy loving the next mountain we're trying to climb that we're not willing to put aside our own interests to take into consideration what might be in her best interest Foremost, First John 3.18 says, Let us not love in word and tongue, but in action and in truth. It's real easy to say, I love you. It's a whole other thing to live out the reality of that and to demonstrate that Peter, who was married himself, offered this word of advice to husbands, how to practice love for our wives. First Peter 3.7 says this. It says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them, that is your wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. You notice what Peter says. Peter says, this is how love looks like from his perspective. He says, I'm to live with my wife in an understanding way, which means, guess what? I'm to learn how to understand who my wife is. We've been married 23 years. This has been a lifelong research project for me I've been doing the best I can for 23 years of marriage and a little bit of time before that trying to convince her to marry me to understand who she is and every time I go through one door there are three other doors on the other side of that thing but listen it's my job as a husband to know my wife not to know how women function generally that's not what I'm called to know my wife to know how she ticks and what ticks her off. <laughs> to know her idiosyncrasies and her personality and her you know, strengths and weaknesses and, 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 and how I need to relate to her because she's not like every other woman. And I don't want her to be. She's my wife. My job is to understand my wife so that I know how to best relate to her, help her, love her, serve her, bring her happiness, and bring pleasure to her. And we're called in an understanding way to take the time to get to know our wives, not just come with these cavalier, generic ideas of, well, women. Well, that's, that's stupid. Get to know your wife. Get rid of the cavalier attitude and get to know your wife. That's loving to take the time to do that and to understand them and, and to recognize there's a delicateness, not weaker in the sense of inferior, a weaker vessel. There's a delicateness. You can't relate to your wife like one of the guys. A lot of men, there's times I sit down in counseling sessions, I'm having a talk. Look, you need to, the way you talk to your wife, you act like she's one of the guys. Guys can talk like that. You can't talk to your wife like that. You can't, you can banter back and forth. You can't talk to a woman like that. You will crush her spirit. 
And it's so important that as men, we realize that this love looks like something, doing what it takes to take care of them, making personal sacrifices. Listen to this one quote I found studying this week. I thought it was very well put in relation to this. It says, there are a lot of men who would stand between their wives and an intruder to offer protection. But those same men, though chivalrous in their protection, would not think of adjusting their schedule or career or outside interests for the sake of the happiness of their wife. Well, that's really good. There's a amount of truth to that. So again, taking time to show them via our actions and decisions they're valuable to us. That they're the most important thing to us. The, that, 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 that's something that we demonstrate by what we do, that they have priority over all the things, being thoughtful and intentional. You know that, all that stuff you did when you were trying to convince them of all the other guys on the planet, I am the one that you should spend the rest of your life with. Then the dating thing, that's what it is. That's why dating is so deception. Because you're trying to convince that other person of all the other species of my gender on this planet. You should spend your whole life with me. So we work really hard. And then unfortunately as men, we have this you know, kind of conquest thing. You know, it's like when we catch the great fish and we finally you know, shoot the animal out in the woods, we kind of just put our foot up on it and like, there you go, caught it. <laughs> it that doesn't work. We're to continue to cherish and to love them and have to manifest this by affection and tenderness, making them feel secure in your love. Continually giving them attention and devotion, gentleness, and then taking time with them, treating them special, little princess stuff once in a while, letting them feel cherished, letting them feel loved. And I tell you something, gentlemen, when a woman is well-loved, when a wife is well-loved, she will blossom like a woman is intended to blossom. And by the same token, when a wife is ignored or mistreated or unloved, insecurity takes root and it will begin that insecurity to manifest itself in ways of behavior and attitudes and feelings and so forth. So as a part of the command to love our wives, I think it's interesting. Look at the last part of verse 19. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be, look what he says, bitter toward them. Some translations render that sour or harsh toward them. Don't be sharp in how you treat them or embittered in how you feel or act towards them. Sometimes as husbands, let's be frank, gentlemen, sometimes as husbands, there's this tendency with men to kind of somewhat get a little easily irritated with our wives. And a lot of times that's due to our own harshness and spirit and our own lack of patience and, and compassion and tenderness. Sometimes just the differences of who she is as a female instead of who you are as a male causes some men to, to, to get really quickly irritated with their wives. And then to begin to kind of get bitter and, and angry and frustrated with their wives and how they speak or act. And, you know, and, and they start to become bitter in their attitude. And sadly, what then can begin to happen, and God knows it, is some husbands begin to get harsh in their treatment towards their wives, in how they speak to them, in their attitudes towards them, or their words. And God cautions here against that cold, callous tendency in men to become insensitive and uncaring. Listen, I'm a dad. I would not take too kindly to a young man being harsh with one of my daughters. And we need to realize there are wives, but they're God's daughters first and foremost. So the Bible here warns us, be careful, love your wives, and then God has to tell men, don't be harsh with them. 
Don't be harsh or sour or embittered. Jesus was known for gentleness and compassion. And, and as husbands, we have to guard our hearts against becoming harsh in the way that we treat or relate to our wives and repent of that if we find ourselves doing it. Again, very important how we're to be relating to them. And again, a wife's condition or treatment of her husband, just like with you know, the, the wife's situation, it doesn't matter the condition of your wife. This is what we are commanded to do regardless. Oh, well, I'll love her when she starts submitting to me. That's not the way God looks at it. God says, you're called to love her. What if Jesus said, well, I'll start loving them when they submit to me down there. We'd all be going to hell. Jesus loved us in our worst condition. He loved us sacrificially and did what he did for us unconditionally and he keeps loving us. So we are to love our wives this way and aspire to love our wives in this way irregardless of our wife's condition, irregardless of her response towards us, whether she appreciates, whether she treats us back. And again, this is our command, how we obey Jesus. The way I obey Jesus as a husband is to say, this is how I obey my Lord in the marriage as a husband. It's my command to honor the Lord with. It's a part of my Christian conduct. And again, let me just say, as the single men may be here this morning, be aware that here's your assignment if you choose to marry, guys. This is what you're signing up for. And so again, I would recommend, be wise in whom you select to spend your life together with as a wife. Take time to evaluate more than a woman's appearance. Look at her character. Examine her disposition, the potential. Does she seem to be the kind of woman that you know, would be who God calls her to be? Does she seem to be the type of woman who'd be willing to be supportive and cooperative and honoring and respectful? Or do you get the impression she seems to have a spirit that's inclined towards resistance? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 25, 24, it's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. No explanation needed. Knowing God's calling Knowing God's calling for men and the husbands God has called us to be as loving leaders and, and strong leaders and servants. Can I say this too for those who have sons and preparing our young men and investing in young men? God help us. Can we train them accordingly? In the same way we train young ladies, as I mentioned earlier, let's train them biblically accordingly to embrace God's destiny for them. Let's do the same with young men. Let's, let's in, encourage young men to recognize what authentic manhood looks like. What it really looks like. Jesus' manhood. Let, let's, let's train young men to embrace the reality of their future responsibility as husbands and fathers and, and that they would grow up. Listen, that we'd raise young men and train and invest in young men so that they would grow up and not be passive and lazy and irresponsible and basically marry a woman and treat her like a second mommy. But that instead we would raise young men to want to be leaders and servants and loving caretakers and, and recognize that they are called to lead their wife and their family effectively and prepare them for that. And I tell you this, to the degree that a man leads well in a marriage and a family, you will have a stable home. You will have a stable home to the degree that that is honored in the family life. And as husbands and wives, are we ever going to obey these things perfectly? Absolutely not. We're, we're never going to obey them perfectly, which means two things. First of all, we need to extend grace to our spouses. 
We need to extend grace and be praying and encouraging them to grow and, and giving them latitude and love and grace. But as well, we should, though we're never going to arrive, we should never stop aspiring toward the standard of God. And listen, I, I purposely this morning, I listen to others at times teach on marriage sometimes, and I, I almost get a little disappointed because it's almost like they apologize for what the Bible says. I'm not going to apologize for what the Bible says. It's almost as if times you'll, you'll and they, they got to just like kind of joke around and apologize. <laughs> it's what the Bible says. And it works. Listen, I've been married for 23 years. I got married when I was 20 years old. Did I know what I was doing? Absolutely not. But I had Jesus involved in my life and I believed what the Word of God says. Did we have everything, this, that? No, no. We lived in a 1970 mobile home when we first got married. Had one car, didn't have a cell phone. I don't know how we did that. <laughs> Raised three kids, tried to keep a mom home. I was making peanuts and then working a second job to try and add a walnut here and there to the peanuts. <laughs> but listen, listen, I tell you something. I love that woman more now than I did the day I asked her to marry me. Amen. Marriage is good, man. You do it right, it is good. It is good. Let's stand. Let's pray together.